God is my all in all. As we live through this pandemic season, I have purposed in my mind that I will not allow it to distract me from preaching the gospel. I thought long and hard about this, and I have found that the reason why many people feel stuck as they wrestle with this interruption in their lives and the tragedy of the untimely death of loved ones, it's because we are, in fact, in a crisis of faith. Faith, the way the Bible means it, is not a denomination, nor is it the same thing as belief or some kind of belief system. But the fact is, faith is having confidence in the ability and willingness of God to supernaturally intervene in our lives and our commitment to prayer and action as the means by which he does so. Faith is so important that you live by it. You overcome the world by it. And you cannot please God without it. We also know that God gives out measures of faith to different people as he so desires. To some, he gives some faith. To others, he gives more faith. And even to others, he gives great faith. But to come to God by faith, you must first believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Yet despite how little faith you may think that you have, the scriptures remind us, that even if it is as small as a mustard seed, you can say to a mountain, be ye removed into the sea. And so it will, because nothing will be impossible for you. But now in our lives, we are at the point where we need to understand how does knowing all this information about faith really applies in our lives. What does all of this mean to me in the midst of this coronavirus? What, 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 how, how does this faith help me when I have no way to make ends meet, even with a $1,200 check? How does this faith get me through difficult relationships, whether at home, school, or at work? How does this whole business of faith really work? Well, to help answer these questions, I want us to take a look at a very familiar encounter that Jesus had with a sick woman he called daughter, as well as the daughter of a popular synagogue official ruler, in the hopes that we would be able to see just how this whole business of faith really works. And so today, as many of us are struggling through this pandemic, many of us who have lost loved ones, many of us who feel really, really distant from those who we are close to. My topic, quite simply, today is just believe. Just believe. Let us pray. Most gracious, heavenly, and eternal Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, 
We are, Lord, at this time, Lord, struggling in many ways with our faith. We look all around us, Lord, and we see that our loved ones are literally passing us by. We are even right now, Lord, thinking of our very own Sister Neftali, who lost her uncle, Lord, and right now, Lord, had, has suffered so many losses, Lord. How does one exercise their faith in the midst of such tremendous losses? Lord, we have even heard, Lord, of others, Lord, who, who, as we did with our very own Scott Elijah, who one day, one day, literally, he was alive and well, and three days later, he has passed on. How do we make sense? People who are serving you, O oh God, in this ministry in ways, Lord, that, that would seem to be pleasing to you, yet they are not exempt from that death angel that comes around, that destroys the very fabric of all that we are. But, Lord, we do know that despite all of these things that we see, if we can hold on to our faith, then there is hope. For we do not grieve as those who do not have hope. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, as this message is now proclaimed, may someone hear it, Lord, who may have suffered unimaginable loss. May someone hear it, O Lord, who is struggling even with their own health condition. May someone hear it, Lord, who is right now wrestling with the, with the health condition of even a loved one. May this message bring healing as we learn to exercise our faith by choosing to believe. This we pray in your holy name. Amen. When we read the Bible, we need to take a few things into account. There is always a lot more going on in the stories than what we generally think when we first read the text. As I've often shared with you, the Bible speaks to us in three specific ways. It speaks to us literally, it speaks to us symbolically, and it also speaks to us spiritually. By being literal, what I mean is that the stories that we read in the Bible, they actually took place. And by being symbolic, it means that there are elements within those same stories that point to a deeper level of revealed truth. And finally, by being spiritual, it means that the symbolic truths of the story actually has deeper meaning for how we are to live in relationship with each other as we continue to live in relationship with God. So the Bible speaks to us literally, symbolically, and spiritually. So let's begin with looking at our story and, and to see if we can unpack how these three things play out in our story. Now, the story came from the gospel according to Luke, and I won't read it again, but it's found in Luke, the eighth chapter, the 40th through the 55th verse, and it talks about Jesus being on his way, healing a woman with an issue of blood, as well as the daughter of a synagogue ruler. From a literal perspective, here's what we know about the text. The text tells us that Jesus returns to a village where he is surrounded by a large crowd that was expecting him. This literally took place. Upon his return, a man named Jairus greets him in the midst of the crowd. Jairus is a ruler of a synagogue, and he has a 12-year-old daughter that is near 
death. Jairus comes desperately kneeling at Jesus' feet, imploring him to come to his house to lay hands on his little girl, his precious little girl, so that she might live. Jesus, of course, decides to help this synagogue ruler. And as he is making his way to Jairus' home, along the way, he is interrupted by a woman that we are told had an issue of blood for 12 years. 12 years, and, 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 and she hasn't been able to get any kind of help from anyone around her, and now she decides to touch the hem of Jesus' garments. And immediately, as she touches the hem of Jesus' garments, we are told she is healed. Jesus, in a moment of surprise, wanted to know who was it that touched him. And, and he, he asked the question to which his disciples started saying, Master, are you kidding me right now? You've got all these people pressing in on you. What do you mean who touched you? Jesus then replies, wait a second. No, 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 no. Y'all don't understand. Someone touched me in a way that none of y'all are touching me. Someone touched me in a way that has allowed power or virtue to have come out of me. Someone touched me in an unusual way. It is at this point that now the woman comes forward confessing that it was her. She was the one that touched Jesus in this most unusual way. And we are told in the story, a most beautiful passage in the story, Jesus looks at her and Jesus blesses her by calling her daughter and tells her that her faith has made her whole. While all of this is happening, someone comes to Jairus and says to him, do not bother Jesus anymore. It is unnecessary. Why? Because what was once thought to be a situation that could be remedied has now crossed over to the impossible. In other words, Jairus, your daughter, has died. There is no other reason, no other reason for you to now come and bother the master. Jesus overhears this, and he tells Jairus, do not worry, for the child is asleep. Do not worry. Jesus then gets to the house, and he only brings with him Peter, James, and John, and the little girl's parents into the room as all the people outside were laughing and scoffing at him because he said she was asleep and not dead. And they knew better than Jesus because they know what the dead looks like. And then we're told Jesus holds her hand, and he tells her to arise. She gets up and is given something to eat according to the gospel according to Mark. Now, I went through all of that for the simple reason to make the point to you that this literally happened. Jesus was a very real person, a very real rabbi in Palestine during those times, and he literally healed a woman that had an issue of blood, and he literally healed Jairus' daughter. What I'm saying in no uncertain terms is that all the events as recorded by Luke actually took place. That is the literal interpretation of the Bible. It's important now to take a look at what we mean by the symbolic perspective. Now, I must tell you that there are many levels of symbolism that is captured in this brief text. But for the sake of time, I'm, I'm only going to highlight a few that's critical to what it is that we are talking about today. I only want to share with you the ones that are most obvious. First, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to read the story and to recognize that there is a woman with an issue of blood for 12 years and there is a 12-year-old child. 
What I mean is that quite clearly the text is telling us there is something significant about the number 12. Here's what we know about the number 12, biblically speaking. Now, I don't want you to get into this place where we're playing numerology and numbers. I'm simply saying that there are patterns in the Bible that gives us clue to understanding the symbolic nature of how we are to interpret the text. The number 12 represents for us God's earthly government. Every time that the number 12 is used in the Bible, it is used always in the context of some kind of governance. For example, the 12 tribes of Israel represent God's earthly government over the people of Israel. We also know that Jesus had 12 disciples. Again, he was training his disciples to lead his ministry. So the point is, when you see the number 12, it is pointing to some kind of earthly governance that Jesus had. But the symbolism goes even a step further. We're introduced to a man by the name of Jairus. We're told that he is a synagogue leader, which means he is a priest of Judaism. And that he produced an offspring or a young daughter. I'll come back to that in a moment. But it's important to understand that out of this man, this priest of Judaism, this synagogue ruler, he produced an offspring, his only offspring, a daughter. Then there is the woman with the issue of blood. And church, don't, lose, don't get stuck. I'm still just talking about the symbolisms in the text. There is the woman with the issue of blood. Now, since 12 represents uh, earthly government that God has established, and this is an older woman, then the older government, which meets this criteria that God had set up, is the nation Israel. So, in short, the woman with the issue of blood represents the nation Israel. All right? Stay with me. Then we got this 12-year-old girl. Hmm. She, again, is a form of government, and the fact that she is the offspring of a synagogue leader means that she represents a new form of government structure that came out of Judaism that is now young and near death. This girl, this young girl, this offspring of Judaism represents the church. So the woman with the issue of blood is Israel. And they had a sickness that could not be cured by anyone. And the little girl that was near death represents the church that was again birthed out of Judaism. Finally, there are the mourners. These are the people who appear to be with you, but they are really for hire. They claim to be Christians, but their faith is for sale. You can find these mourners on TV selling pieces of rags or water that they got from their basement selling as holy water and you can even find these mourners at places like the White House currying favor for political gain. Yes, I said it. Celebrating and lauding the great beast. You know the kind. They, they tend to laugh and mock at those of us who still exercise our faith and do not need to rely on earthly government or earthly riches in order to advance the kingdom of God. I know you hear what I'm saying. They are literally wolves in sheep's clothing. They only come around when it's politically expedient for them. So symbolically, all that we see in the characters in this story represent very specific groups that if we understand their roles, we will now be able to interpret the deeper meaning of the text. 
Which brings us to the spiritual significance of the story. As I stated before, the woman with the issue of blood for 12 years represents the 12 tribes of Israel that are bound by the Levitical law. This Levitical law requires that the blood of animals be brought into the temple as sacrifices in order to atone for the sins of the people. Every time that the people would transgress the law, they would come and bring the appropriate sacrifice into the temple so that the priest may offer it as atonement for their sin. Month after month, year after year, they would routinely bring these sacrifices because they could not help themselves and they could not keep from breaking the law. Now watch what God says in the prophet book Isaiah, the first chapter, the 11 through the 14 verses. God says this, I am sick of your sacrifices, says the Lord. Don't bring me any more burnt offerings. I don't want the fat from your rams or other animals. I don't want to see the blood from your offerings of bulls and rams and goats. Why do you keep parading through my courts with your worthless sacrifices. The incense you bring me is a stench to my nostrils. Your celebrations of the new moon and the Sabbath day and your special days for fasting, even your most pious meetings are all sinful and false. I want nothing more to do with them. I hate all of your festivals and sacrifices. I cannot stand the sight of them. This is God's word as the people were bringing sacrifices, their lambs, their sheep, their goats to atone for the sins that they are guilty of. As a matter of fact, in the book of Hosea, the sixth chapter, the sixth verse, God says this, for I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than your burnt offering. So the situation here is no matter how much the people brought their sacrifices to the temple priests, it did not work. It did not matter how many goats they brought. It did not matter how many lambs they brought. It did not matter how many bullocks they brought. It did not remove the scourge of sin from the people. Similarly, similarly, the woman with the issue of blood, she went to every physician she could find, and none could help her. All these years, no matter what she did, it could not help her to get rid of her sickness in the very same way that no lambs or no birds or no goat or no sheep could help Israel, so too could no doctor, no talisman, no voodoo witch doctor, no shaman, no, no Dr. Fauci. Nobody could help her. Such was her condition. Israel could not get help. Neither could this woman with the issue of blood. Similarly for you and for me, brothers and sisters, no amount of tithes, no amount of offerings, no amount of good deeds, no amount of good gestures, no amount of words that you think you can give to people can help you with your blood condition. For we know that blood condition to be called nothing other than sin. We were born in sin. We were shaped in iniquity. It is our nature right now. We can't help but sin. And every time you think that you are doing something good, it does not work. We have an issue of blood we have an issue of blood and no one nowhere can help us with this blood condition it is a disease so dire that no one can remedy it that is no one until now 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 I've gone through those literal symbolic 
and spiritual perspectives that you see in the text. And my prayer is that you were able to at least appreciate the magnitude and the correlation of each. But I want to bring your attention to a few things more that is spiritually symbolic. And I said that purposely, spiritually symbolic. We, we, we know that in the text, Jesus is identified as rabbi. And being a rabbi and being identified as rabbi meant that he wore a robe that probably had tassels on the bottom of it. And, and, and what you need to know is that when the, when the priests were anointed with oil, the, the oil would run from the top of their heads all the way down to their robes. And the tassels would drip with the oil. In fact, we are told that, that, that from the book of Malachi, what you need to know in Old Testament history is that the tassels, the tassels on the robe of the priest, the nickname for it was, was, was called wings. They call it wings. And so, and so when we read in the book of Malachi, the fourth chapter and the second verse, we, we, we read these words, but to you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall arise with what? Healing in his wings. Now don't miss this. Malachi says, who has got healing in his wings? The son of righteousness. So when the woman with the issue of blood touched the hem of Jesus' garment, when the woman with the issue of blood touched the tassels on his robe, when the woman with the issue of blood touched the wings of his garment, she was actually saying, I believe you are Messiah. You are the son of righteousness. And because I've got this blood condition, because I've got this sickness that no Dr. Fauci, that no Dr. Burks, that no doctor could heal, I need you to heal me, oh God. I need to touch the hem of your garment, for I know that you are the son of righteousness who comes with healing in his wings. The hem of his garment was a source of his power. For the anointing oil of his grace drips from the bottom of his robe. Even the lowest parts of Jesus was enough power to heal you from your infirmities. So, so when she touched the hem of Jesus' garment, he was able to do what no doctor, no physician, no bull, no sheep, no goat, no bird, no nothing could do. Jesus, once and for all, healed this blood condition. And so what we see here is a picture of the atoning power of Jesus to heal our broken and our sinful condition once and for all. So, so pastor, what does all of this have to do with faith? Well, the woman was healed because she believed in who Jesus was. And by acting on this belief, she exercised faith. And that faith made her whole. As I stated in the beginning of this message, faith is having confidence in the ability and the willingness of God to supernaturally intervene into our lives. But it is also our commitment to prayer and action as the means by which he does so. Our nation and our world is in trouble because the people of God, in many ways have lost faith in a God that can still supernaturally intervene in our very lives. 
even when things seem impossible and insurmountable. Yet, yet that same God, that same God that opened Sarah's barren womb and brought forth Isaac, that same God that parted the Red Sea, that same God that brought water from a rock, that same God that made the sun stand still, that same God that made an axe head float, that same God that healed blind eyes, that same God that opened deaf ears, that same God that raised the dead is the same God that is here with us today. If God can do all those things that I just mentioned, then what is, and, and let me say it this way, what the hell is coronavirus? Is anything too hard? For our God. The real question is not if God can heal our land. That is not the real question. The real question is where is your faith? Where is your faith? The question of faith for the church. Because of our testimony. We already proved that we live by it. We overcome the world by it. And we cannot please God without it. But to come to God by faith. You must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Faith is the currency of heaven. And unless you have a measure of it, you cannot nor will you survive. Now, now, now I've already established that Jairus' 12-year-old daughter is a picture of the church. And, and, and surrounding this, this, this dying, sleeping girl are people that are mockers and scorners. And, and, and I've already told you who they were. We, we already identified them. But, but Jesus kicks them all out of the house and takes himself, takes with him Peter, James, and John and the little girl's parents into the room. But unlike the woman with the issue of blood, unlike the nation of Israel, the little girl was not actively involved in her restoration. In fact, Jesus came to her based on the faith of her father. And all Jesus said to him was, just believe. And then he touched the little girl and she arose. My brothers and my sisters, Jesus has commissioned the church to help heal the world. But now it seems that the church is literally on life support. It seems like we are walking around a little bit impotent, almost as if we have no power. We are the church of God, as if we are at the mercy of, of the White House or government officials or doctors or lawyers. Or Listen, my brothers and sisters, we are the church of Jesus Christ. We are the church of God. And guess what? All Jesus needed to do was to touch the little girl in the very same way that Jesus touched you and he touched me. And when he touched you and when he touched me, all Jesus has to say is arise. Get up. Why are you acting as if you have no power? You think prayer is weakness? When the church of God prays, when I pray, when we all pray, we appropriate all the powers of heaven we appropriate all the majesty and the sovereignty of God. We appropriate that same resurrection power that Jesus exhibited when he got up from that empty tomb. My brothers and my sisters, we are not fickle. We are not, we are not, we, we are the church of God. Yes, we are sometimes a little broken. Yes, we don't always have everything that we want, but we are still the church of God. And we have in many ways 
abdicated our responsibility as the moral and spiritual guide for this world. And it seems that we have become more like the world and less like the people of God. We are the salt of the earth, but it seems we have lost our flavor. This is what we see and why we see all the things happening around us today in the world. The world is in trouble because it has a blood problem called sin. And that sin can only be remedied through the blood of Jesus Christ. The, the, the story, the story of the healing of the woman with the issue of blood for 12 years and Jairus' 12-year-old daughter points to the fact that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. It is he of whom the Old Testament concealed, but of whom the New Testament has revealed. And because he is the Messiah, on that cross, he became the perfect sacrifice that once and for all made it possible that you and I did not need anything in order to obtain righteousness. But like that 12-year-old girl that laid in that bed, unable to do anything but to respond to the call of Jesus, so too is your condition right now if you're not saved. If you are not saved, you are like that little girl Great potential, but need the touch, the healing touch of Jesus' hand. But, 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 but you see, here is where faith comes in. The faith of her father, when Jesus said to him, just believe, was enough to get Jesus to come into his house. We are the church of God. And I'm telling you that we believe that Jesus is exactly who he says he is. And we are believing that God himself will come to our house and bring healing to you. If you are not saved, you are the little girl. But our faith is strong enough and our belief is strong enough that we can marshal the power of God Almighty to come in your house, in your room, probably not saved. What I'm telling you is you have a blood condition. And that blood condition is not going to be healed with any kind of, of, of antivirus or any kind of remedy from a doctor. It's only going to come from Jehovah Rapha, our healer. Jesus Christ is passing this way. And don't be like those who are just watching him go by. I'm telling you, my brothers and my sisters, today is the great day that you can touch the hem of his garment, even right now where you are. And again, not literally, not symbolically, but thanks be to God that when Jesus Christ died on that cross and the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom, he opened a way for us to access the Holy of Holies. And from a spiritual perspective, you can touch the hem of his garment. The question is, do you believe? Do you believe? All of what I've said comes down to that one point. Do you believe? So today, if you want to take hold of this by faith, you need faith. But it begins with believing. When Jesus laid in that borrowed tomb. For three days, the resurrection power made possible by the Holy Spirit raised him from the dead and said, Arise. So today, with the authority of Jesus the Messiah, 
by, by the authority given to me through the blood of the Lamb to stand in this position as I make intercession for you, my brothers and my sisters, I say to you, arise. Arise out of your slumber of despair. Arise out of your slumber of despondence. Arise out of your slumber of disenfranchisement. Arise out of your slumber of apathy. Arise out of your slumber of unbelief. And to the church of God, arise out of your slumber of cowardice. And take upon you the mantle of God, the light that shines in this very, very dark world. The world needs to see the faith of the church, but we must all first believe. So if you hear these words, son or daughters, harden not your heart, but just believe. Just believe. It is the only message that we tell everyone every Sunday in this church. And Jesus is the hero in every message. Only just believe. And if you hear those words, you, we believe, you will have faith. And your faith will make you whole. May the Lord richly, richly bless you, my beloved.